Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell him of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among nations, his marvelous works among all people. For all great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Good morning. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, again, I am not Travis. All right, so if you had your hopes up, you thought one and done, uh, we kind of pulled a switch on you. Travis is still, I think, out of, out of the country, but he will be back next week. So if you've been holding out, uh, it's almost there. You're, you're almost there. Uh, but you get me for a second week, and uh, as usual, I love the opportunity to come and spend time with you and share with you. And I hope this morning uh, that I have something that will, will help us out a little bit. A um, couple things that I, I want to say about it. Uh, first of all, it's, it's a very difficult lesson uh, that I've prepared this morning. And I don't always like difficult ones. I like to be able to leave you with something that brings you some joy and some happiness and uh, send you out with uh, just the love and the validation that you are the sons and daughters of God, that you are the beloved children of God. And so I want to start there with you this morning. Please understand that wherever we navigate moving forward, you are the beloved sons and daughters of God, and you are loved and you are cherished. And I want you to understand that, and I want you to breathe that in and make that your reality, especially as we move forward this morning. But um, this morning's lesson's a little different. Um, I've probably, in the last two weeks, and, and, and somebody asked me recently, how do you prepare a sermon? Um, you know, if I was Travis and, and I knew I had six weeks out, I might do a series, you know, and kind of piece that together. I, I, don't, I don't have a six-week series for us. Um, this one relates a little bit to last week. I know we talked about that imminent frame and kind of being bounded into what our resources are as we try to live a Christ-like uh, journey. Um, this one comes off of that a little bit and that there's some fallenness in our world and, and there's some miscalculation in our world and there's some grieving in our world. But as I began thinking about this week, probably backing up about three weeks ago, I started to, to notice a little thread being woven through my daily walk. But in the last two and a half weeks, I've had conversations with about six different people. And the topic kept coming up. Um, I had a, a phone call from a, a friend of mine in Texas. He's a minister. And the conversation, and I, I, yeah, I can use this without letting anybody know who he is. Anybody know any ministers in Texas? Well, you don't know this one, okay? So don't, don't think it's from him, all right? Uh, but he gave me a call. He said, hey, have you ever struggled with depression? 
And then uh, I ran into uh, uh, a parent call and said, hey, I think my son's really depressed right now. And then I got on to my, uh, my feed there at Lipscomb. I have a Lipscomb email address, and I clicked on, and the first one was from a guy that generates a weekly blog. He's a professor there, and the title was uh, My Journey with Depression. And then I had a conversation uh, with uh, a, a spouse, actually two spouses, concerned about, hey, I think my spouse is depressed. And then I had another phone call and said, hey, I think, and this one's from out of town again, I think maybe my husband is struggling with depression. And so I really don't want to go there because depression is, well, it's depressing, right? I mean, you could fill that one in on your own. You didn't need that one. It is. It is. But I began looking at some things here, and I want to make you aware of, uh, of, of kind of where we're headed. But we're not talking about a momentary sadness, okay? And, and momentary sadness, you know, um, you, lose, you lose a family pet. That's kind of momentary. It's big, but it's, it's momentary. It passes, okay? Um, maybe uh, you lose a job. Yeah. You liked it. It was good, but it, it, it passes. I'm talking about the kind of sadness or sorrow or lament that has become your companion. Okay? You wake up to this. It's what puts you to bed at night. It interrupts your day. You no longer find joy in what you used to find joy in. Chocolate doesn't cut it anymore. A new pair of shoes, not quite. That's what I'm talking about. That's the sorrow and that's the lament. That's our topic. And you're like, wow, I'm glad I came this morning. All right? Um, But I want us to think about this. We live in the fallen creation. Its brokenness will be felt by us. When you fall into a season of loss, that doesn't mean that you're broke. That doesn't mean that you're not normal or that you're alone. Let me give you some common statistics here. This is for America, okay? I mean, that's where we reside. One in four of you will experience an extended season of depression. Uh, One in six are currently navigating some depression. Those are depressing statistics. Okay? Let me give you a little more here because men, men, listen. The statistics are even worse for you. One in three men experience a season of serious depression. 
And that's a statistic that we kind of live in. And let me just say this. If one and four of you showed up with COVID, we would shut the doors. Would we not? And we would send you home until we were healthy enough to reconvene. If every third man that came in the building had chicken pox, we would shut this down until health returned. That's how important health is for us. And yet, for some reason, when we think about depression and the cognitive, okay, we tend to kind of push that away. Guys, here's, here's something you need to know. The mind is part of the body. If we lined up and, and one in three men walked in the door with a cast on, we would want to offer some assistance to them. Right? If one in four walked through the door um, and, and they couldn't hear or were missing an eye, we would rush to help. And so when we think about this depression, what I want us to do, and, and by the way, this morning, if you're a counselor, okay, or, or a, a psychologist or psychiatrist, I am not stepping into your realm, I am not going to provide any answers this morning. I'm sorry if you were hoping for that, okay? My goal entirely this morning is to start the conversation. This is something we don't navigate well, okay? And so we're going to, we're going to visit and talk about this a little bit, but um, I want you to think about as a Christian— how we approach depression, or maybe we could use the term worry or concern or lament or deep sorrow, anguish. When you get to to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25, verse 31, verse 34, all three of those say, do not worry. Have you read that? Do not worry. And for the longest time, I took that away as a command. So if you're feeling low and you realize you're feeling low and then you read Matthew chapter six, guess what? You feel bad about feeling bad. Seems cyclical in nature. That's not the intention there. It's not a condemnation that Christ is offering. It's a consolation don't feel bad. I've got your back. Don't worry. I can help you through this. It's not shame on you if you worry. Okay? But as Christians, when we engage that text, that's the first thing we read. Oh my goodness, I'm worrying. I must not have enough faith. Who's wanting to come confess that? But that's not the point of the text. The point is, don't worry. Think about the birds and how well I take care of them. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you as well. It's not you're bad if you worry. That's a different reading. Okay? Now, let's back that up with just a little bit. Think about it as Christians, okay? And we already put that little shield up. And then, well, if you're a man and you already struggle with it. By the way, men are 3.5 times more likely to commit to successfully commit suicide. 
because they are wearing this in a heavy way. So men, okay, we hide it better than the rest. I don't know, but part of me thinks it's a generational thing. You know, think back at at your father and his hardships. Did he share that? Was it, you know, share feeling time at dinner every night? Maybe it was. I don't think so. Okay, so maybe it's a generational shift. We are seeing that the younger generations are more comfortable talking about this kind of stuff than the older generations. Uh, But it doesn't change the fact that we tend to navigate a darker side of life than even the ladies do. Ladies are more willing to discuss their feelings. More willing to engage when they're down or when they're wounded. Men are not. Sometimes we perceive it a sign of weakness. Sometimes it's pride. But I think more than anything, it's fear of judgment. We don't want to be judged. I don't want to be perceived as weak. It's fear of rejection. If they know I struggle, they'll leave. It's fear of failure. I'm a failure if I get down. But this, this fear left unresolved leads to isolation. This leads to unhealthy coping. This leads to things like self-medication, leads to addiction, but it leads to a hiddenness. And here's what I want to say. We need to check in on one another. I greet a majority view every Sunday morning. Good morning. How are you? What's the typical response? I'm good. It's hot. I'm glad to be here. And if you're wearing a nice shirt like mine, I have a nice shirt. That's the typical response. One out of three of you are really not doing great when you walk in. You're having a hard day. One out of four of everybody would be like, really, Bert? It's not that great today. But we don't share that. We don't divulge that. We don't confess that. Because it's going to make the the moment awkward. I'll stop asking. You know, if I come out there and one out of four of you is going to give me the Debbie Downer, I'm like, I'm done asking. Somebody else go stand out there. It's brutal. All right? But, you know, we're in the South. We're going to have those Southern niceties. And by the way, please don't come in and start that next Sunday. I'm just kidding. If you really needed to, I would be there. And I know know several of you would be there. But um, you understand this is kind of just what we do. Um, So I want us to check in with one another. I want us to start the conversation, but I want to give us maybe some language because we're not alone. And statistically, okay, if you can trust what I've shared, right, you know you're not alone. But I want to back up and I want to show with you some things that hopefully will help you understand a little better. And I'm going to be going through a lot of text today, okay? But we're going to start in the Psalms. Please understand the Psalms are our songbook. These are our prayers. These are the prayers and the songs that we see repeated in the New Testament. 92 times somebody in the New Testament goes back and quotes a psalm. If it was good enough for the apostles to be their songbook, if it was good enough for Christ to him use these in as his prayers in his life, then it's good enough for us. These are our songs. This is how we cry. 
Okay, this is how we lament. And the Psalms are kind of cut in two. One, one half the book's lament and one half the book's praise. Well, guess what? We're not playing on the praise side today, okay? So I was a little selective. But I want you to hear from the psalmist, a lot of times from King David, a man after God's own heart, okay? Kind of the things that come out. Psalms chapter 30, verses 8 through 11. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Verse 10, be my help, Lord. Verse 11, turn my wailing. There's a cry for mercy. So this psalmist who's weeping, who's crushed in his spirit is crying out for mercy. In other words, he feels pretty low. And the fact that he's crying for mercy means he feels pretty low because of what? He kind of messed up. We can, through our own deficiencies, end up in a really low place. And not just a, oh, my bad, but a, oh, I blew it. And I'm living through the consequences. And I can't seem to forgive myself. That's the psalmist. And he's living in it. Psalms 34, 17 through 19. The righteous cry out. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Uh, He saves those crushed in spirit. Verse 19, a righteous man may have many problems. So, you know, chapter 30 was, I blew it. And I'm dealing with it and the brokenness and the baggage, and it's really got me down. Listen to this guy. He's a righteous guy, and he's crushed in spirit. There are no free passes. Even the good guys struggle with the depths and the anguish and the pain and the sorrow. And the psalmist is giving us permission to say, Hey, God, I feel really, really broken right now, and I'm one of the good guys. And I can't seem to realize or tell myself that I'm a good guy because I feel so crushed in spirit right now. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. In chapter 40, there's this concept of, I got to wait while I cry. This isn't momentary sadness. This is the companion of depression hanging on. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And it's dark. And it's lonely. But the psalmist is saying, yes, that's part of the human experience, by the way. This can happen. This does happen. Psalms 42, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Verse 4, as I pour out my soul. The tears that are flowing day and night as he continues to pour out his soul to the Father. It's not a temporary thing sometimes. This lament, this sorrow, this 
low space in time. It's almost a sacred space because it's in the deepest parts of the soul where we learn to cry, Abba, Father. Sometimes our journey might be incomplete without getting to that point in our life where we cry out, Abba, Father. Can you hear me? Do you see me? Psalms 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Sometimes you can be down and not even know why. You just wake up and it's a bad day. And a bad day turns into two bad days. And at the end of a bad week, you're crying, Abba, Father. And I don't even know why. I got any criers out there? You watch the wrong commercial, right? And you just cry. That's the psalmist. Verse, uh, sorry, uh, Psalm 134, verse 4. My spirit grows faint. My heart within me is dismayed. Oh, Lord, my spirit fails. I don't know why, but I'm crushed. You have permission to feel crushed at times. One of the things that we don't do very well in America is lament. We want you to get better quickly. When you experience loss, it's okay. It'll be okay. Come on, let's get out. Let's go play. When a, when a family member dies, what you need to do is you need to get on out. You got to get out. Let's, go, let's get back to normal as quickly as possible. The Eastern culture, that's the culture Christ is in. They lament. They tear their clothes. They throw the ashes. You can actually hire professional weepers to accompany you in the funeral. They know how to lament, and they're not ashamed by it. In America, if you ugly cry, it's embarrassing, right? You don't want anybody to see it. And you definitely don't want anybody to come along and comfort you about it or with it. I want us to move on. Those are the Psalms. I'm going to give us a couple guys here in the text, I hope, quickly. I want you to think about Jonah. You know Jonah, the guy that ran from God? Okay. This is his prayer from inside the fish. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From the depths of the gravel, I called, and you heard my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. He's quoting a psalm. We think he's talking about the ocean. He's quoting a psalm. And if there's one guy that feels a little depressed, Jonah is it, right? He's supposed to go preach. He doesn't want to go preach, so he gets on a boat, and the rough water comes. And what is the first thing he do? Throw me over. Just kill me. That's not normal. Waters get rough. But his first thought is throw me over. 
He gets in the belly of the fish and he feels like he's overwhelmed. And if we know the rest of the story, he, he preaches like half a sentence, repent or burn, right? This is probably the world's most effective sermon. The whole city turns, even the animals repent, and he goes out and finds a bush and says, I wish I was dead. He's a little depressed. And God uses him. We get past Jonah. Let's look at Job. I mean, everybody knows Job, right? By the time he's gone through all the hardship, and now my life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, nights pierce my bones, my gnawing pain never rests. I'm reduced to ashes. And guess what? He wants to die. I wish I'd never been born. Elijah, after he destroys the prophets of Baal, runs off, finds a tree, sits down under the tree and says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah. I mean, this is the guy that commands fire from heaven. And that's how low he is. Jeremiah. My eyes fell me because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth. He's been preaching and preaching and preaching, and nobody's listening. You ever worked at a job where you felt like it wasn't going anywhere? Some of you stuck your heads up. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Right? Yeah. That's his job. And it's not going anywhere. And he's just like, hey, I wish it wasn't even here anymore. Now, that's Old Testament, and I know sometimes we want to neglect that. I I want us to read, and I forget... We've already read this text this morning during communion. Isaiah 53, 1 through 4. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of a parched ground. He was no stately form, or he was not stately nor majestic, that we should look upon him, nor appearance uh, that we should be attracted to him. Who are we talking about? Does anybody know? Talking about Jesus. Now listen to what it says. He was despised and forsaken of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. A little further down, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Even Christ knew what grief was, what sorrow was what it felt like to be broken. Matthew 26, um, and he took him, uh, sorry, let me back up, John 11, verse 33, um, Lazarus has passed away, okay? And he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled. Experienced the loss of a friend. Deeply moved. Deeply troubled. Now, these are words for the creator of the world. If he says he's troubled, it's deep. It's not a momentary, you know, something I could brush off. This wounds him deeply. In Matthew chapter 26, you know, the night before he goes to be crucified, um, and he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And so I think we've got more than enough permission from the text, from the Psalms in prayers and singing to experience loss and grief. 
In Hebrews, it says we have a high priest who is, uh, I'm sorry, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He grieved because we grieve. He knows what it's like to live in a broken world. He knows what it's like to go, not just a moment of being upset or off kilter, but maybe days, maybe years. Maybe there's some brokenness there we need to, but he grieves with us and he grieves for us. This is an odd sermon because normally a sermon's going to be something like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Let's fix that. Let's confess it and let's get back on the right track. I'm not saying we're doing anything wrong. That's the human experience to grieve and to experience loss. You're missing out on some health if that's where you found yourself to be stuck. He comes to give us life and life to the full. But in this brokenness, in our world, in the real world context, we experience loss, we experience grief, we experience depression at times. But notice that he is with us in that moment. And so it's not a call to come and confess, but it's a call to come and find help. To come and share your journey with others, by the way, one in four or one in three if you're men. To come and start the conversation so that you can move past the paralyzation that occurs when you're fixated on the loss and the grief that you're experiencing. I don't have quick answers, okay? And we can't offer that. And, and if anybody does have a quick, an- quick answer for you, question it, okay? It's probably not what you were hoping for. See, Christ came so that we could have that life. Please remember you are the beloved sons and daughters. So even in the midst of the darkness, uh, sometimes they call this the dark night of the soul. It's like the psalmist says, you know, I pray and I pray and where are you, Lord? And so what I want us to consider as we move forward is to check in on one another start the conversation. And and this goes between spouses. This goes between parents and children. This goes among the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sorry that this was kind of a low lesson and that I don't have quick solutions. But I can invite you to the kingdom of God where the community of God can begin helping you with the healing process. And, and please understand that just because you have a, a wound, all right, does not mean that the brother next to you or the sister next to you has the ointment. Sometimes you need to go a bit further. Sometimes there's a counselor that knows way more than your youth minister does. Sometimes there's uh, experts out there that understand where you are and can help you navigate in difficult and dark waters. And so please start your conversations. The number one cause, number one, number two cause of death for kids between the ages of 14 to like 24 is suicide. There's a lot of conversations 
that are not happening. And so I would encourage us to start those conversations this morning. If you want to come and just be loved on, if you want to come and start that conversation, we've got elders in the back that will be more than happy to greet you and walk with you through that. They'll be uh, up here as well if you want to start that discussion and start that journey. But I would encourage you, please start the conversation. Initiate this with one another and check in and then begin the process of finding health and hope as we move forward. Please come as we stand and sing.